Good morning, church family. So glad to see everyone today. I want to give a shout out to our all-star El Salvador team. I understand they got back pretty late last night, early this morning. And I've seen Mark Wazette, and I've seen Lanera and Jeff. I haven't seen Tony and Leo yet, but I know they've been busy already. But I just want to welcome you back officially. Um, I'm sure it was hard to leave La Palma. Um, but thanks for being here. I'm sure you're charged with the spirits, and it didn't matter how much sleep you got last night. In fact, Jeff beat me to church this morning, and uh, you know he got to bed really late. I felt like there was a race between him and I, and he started in El Salvador, and I started in Roland Park, and he still beat me. So, uh, good going, Jeff. Um, if you're a guest here today, we especially welcome you. Uh, we are so glad you've joined us today. Uh, I'm going to continue a Christmas-based sermon series on John chapter 1, verse 14, which says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I introduced this verse midway through my sermon last week, and today we're going to focus on uh, part of that. Uh, let me just give you a quick catcher-upper from last week. Last week we talked about the word dwelling in this scripture and how Jesus became our new temple because dwelling uh, means tabernacle or temple. So Jesus takes the temple to the people instead of the people taking, or taking themselves to the temple. Today, we're going to focus on the word word here in this verse. What does it mean for the word to become flesh. We'll have a much better Christmas if we understand what the word, word, is implying here in this scripture. So come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And let's explore the word of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 3, the first ten verses, says this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. 
Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. It's kind of a kind of a funny story here. Eli is woken up three different times by Samuel, who hears somebody calling his name. And Eli, I would imagine, is starting to get frustrated. He says, Samuel boy, I'm the priest here. Priest needs his beauty rest. Let me get some sleep here, you know? Well, notice the reason why Eli and Samuel are so confused by this interaction. The first verse in chapter 3 said, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. So their first instinct wasn't, Oh, the Lord is calling me. It's the word of the Lord. They thought, Oh, it must be the wind. Eli was probably thinking, It's a boy's wild imagination. If you've had young boys, you probably know a little something about wild imaginations. I was a young boy once, and I can remember, I just knew one night as I was laying in bed, there was a UFO right outside my window. And so I ended up waking mommy and daddy up twice that night because there was a UFO hovering right over my treehouse. And to this day, as I think back on that night, still remember it. You know, there's, I think there's like a 75% chance that there was no UFO, but I'm not giving up on the idea yet. So Eli was probably thinking, wild imagination, go back to bed. Can't blame Eli. But finally, it dawns on Eli, this, has got to, this must be the word of the Lord. This is God calling Samuel. So Samuel ends up hearing the word of the Lord and he became a great prophet. In fact, at the end of chapter 3, it says, All Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. It wasn't always like this. Second guessing the word of the Lord or only a very few small minority able to hear the word of the Lord. Remember, once upon a time, in the first few pages of the Bible, we read of the Garden of Eden. And God's face and man's face were one and the same. God and man cohabitated. And they could speak to one another in conversation, just like I can with you. But man and woman, they rebelled and they were banished from the garden. And since that time, the word of the Lord was rare. Almost unheard of. That was one of the consequences of sin. The word of the Lord became rare. And so throughout Israel's history, we read in the Old Testament, only a certain few people like Moses and Joshua could hear the word of the Lord. And we have a name for those people. What do we call them? Anybody know? This is low-hanging fruit here. Prophet, right? So, folks like Isaiah and Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, they're Old Testament prophets because they received the word of the Lord very directly. And they were few and far between. You couldn't just say, Hey, Siri, uh, show me prophets in Judah. And you get a big list. Couldn't do that. You couldn't look them up in the yellow pages. 
Okay, it was probably like, probably something like finding a professional cricket player in Kansas City. Okay, there might be a professional cricket player in Kansas City. I don't know. But if there is, that person's going to be hard to find. It's not going to be very easy to look him up. But the prophet in the Old Testament became the go-to person if you wanted to hear the word of the Lord. You've probably probably seen these toys. They're stuffed animals, little teddy bears where you can record a message inside of them and then give it to your grandson and your grandson can listen to grandma's voice anytime he wants through this little teddy bear. The Old Testament prophets were kind of like those teddy bears. The teddy bears weren't the message, but they were the messenger. So it was the prophet. When Jesus appeared on the scene, it had been 400 years since there had been a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord in Israel. Imagine, 400 years. This isn't like waiting for the McRib to return. This is a significant drought, right? A long time. So when it appeared that Jesus was a prophet speaking the word of the Lord, people were exceedingly eager to hear him speak. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1, for example. It says again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. The people were very hungry for the word of the Lord. In fact, they were starving for it. They really needed it. Well, listen to what Jesus tells this hungry crowd in Mark chapter 4. He tells them something extraordinary. Beginning in verse 3 of Mark chapter 4, he says, Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even a hundred times. Now you might be thinking, John, what's so extraordinary about some story about a farmer? What's so extraordinary about that? Well, Jesus offers a little bit of an explanation to his disciples, and I hope we'll see why this is so extraordinary. In verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Now, the farmer sows the word. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, is one of the smallest verses in the Bible. And I kind of have a theory about this. this. is my opinion. But I think that this verse, which is five words, the farmer sows the word. It's five words. And two of those words are the. But 
it, it, it needs its own verse because it's so important. It couldn't be looped into chapter 13 or verse 13 or 15. This saying of Jesus was so important it had to stand alone. Have you ever lost something that was hidden in plain sight? You look all over the house for something and it's just right there on the kitchen counter the entire time. If I were to leave this room right now, walk out that door, would you be able to remember what color shirt I was wearing? Okay, you will now, right? But maybe you wouldn't have if I didn't bring it up. Sometimes the more obvious the answer that's right in front of your eyes is the most difficult to get. So here the disciples are with Jesus standing right in front of them, just right there. And he says, the farmer sows the word. And they don't really get it. I, don't, I really can't say this with certainty, but it's likely that the disciples were thinking that Jesus was talking about the Torah. Maybe God gave the Israelites the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which were Israel's salvation. So God giving the Torah would be the farmer sowing the word. Or maybe the disciples are seeing Jesus as some teddy bear prophet relaying the word of God to the people. Could be likely. Well, after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus, the disciples started to grasp some of these concepts that Jesus was talking about. They started to rehash some of the things that Jesus said and rehash some of the things that Jesus did. And what was hidden in plain sight right in front of their eyes began to materialize. And Pentecost helped with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But maybe you can picture John the Apostle, and he's just thinking about what just happened to him and the other disciples. I mean, can you imagine to be the disciples after Jesus' ascension and think, can you believe that just happened to us? What a time to be alive. That's unbelievable. And you might picture John, the Apostle, and he's like, you know, we got to write some of this stuff down. This is very important stuff. And, he, and John has already written some powerful things. For example, he's written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And maybe this makes John think of this time where Jesus was on the lake talking about this farmer and how Jesus said, The farmer sows the Word. He's like, man, I think there's something there. I think there's something to that that I'm missing. And he's just thinking about it. The, the farmer sows the word. 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 What did Jesus mean? Farmer sows the word. Wait a minute. Could it be? He picks up his ballpoint pen and he runs over to his notepad and he writes these words. The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among them. Signed, John 1, 14. You see the two phrases, the farmer sows the word and the word became flesh. They're saying the same thing. These two phrases are synonymous. The farmer sowing the word is God planting Jesus on earth. It's not God speaking through a teddy bear prophet. It doesn't really have anything to do with the Torah. The Word is Jesus Himself. The Son of God. That was the Word right there in front of Him. Okay, this was, this was huge. In fact, the disciples and the entire Jewish world was flipped upside down on its head by this concept that Jesus was the Word of the Lord. No longer was the Word of the Lord rare or only communicated through a few hard-to-reach people. No longer was the the Word of the Lord something to be waited on or searched high and low for. The Word of the Lord was right there in flesh and blood. The Word of the Lord walked around, smiled, laughed, cried, ate and drank. The Word of the Lord could be touched, embraced. So from this point on in the lives of the children of God, the Word of the Lord was transformed. Just like Jesus inaugurated a new age when He said, I am the temple, and He became this walking, talking temple, so the same new age is inaugurated when Jesus says that he is the word of the Lord. Well, eventually, all the disciples got it. And if you look at the way the New Testament writers write, you see that they got it, finally. Just look at how the New Testament writers use the phrase word of the Lord or word of God or simply word in the New Testament. Luke begins his gospel this way. He says, I think we have a verse here, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just one click. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. Okay, so it's not only the Apostle John that got it. Luke begins his gospel saying that Jesus was the Word. Listen to Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. What was Paul saying? He wasn't talking much about the Torah or the prophets as much as he was talking about Jesus, the story of Jesus. If he was talking about the prophets or the Torah, the Jews and the Pharisees and the teachers of all, they wouldn't have been so angry. They would have encouraged it. It only means that he was talking about Jesus. The word of the Lord is the story of Jesus Christ. Finally, check out 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-9. through 9. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, 
raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Again, God's word can only be the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. Now, to the the powers that be, the religious powers that held serve, using, I mean, this this willy-nilly use of the phrase word of the Lord or word of God, that would have been scandalous. Okay, you don't just say that the story of Jesus Christ is the word of the Lord. That would have been using God's name in vain. If you were a Jew that didn't believe in Jesus, and that's a big no-no. That's breaking the third commandment right there. And the New Testament writers do just this. In fact, they do it 78 times in the New Testament. Refer the word of the Lord to the story of Jesus. It's the kind of thing that landed Paul in prison often. It's the kind of thing that led to many of the first disciples losing their lives. Equating Jesus with the word of the Lord. That's scandalous. And here we have it, right here. In ink, permanent ink. And if it wasn't for the courage of those first disciples and the New Testament writers, we wouldn't have it. But we got it available to us right here. So, what does it mean for us today, 2,000 years later, to have Jesus as the walking, talking word of the Lord. Well, Jesus, as word of the Lord, marks a dramatic shift in the way God's children worship Him and have faith in Him and have relationship with God. We don't have to search high and low for a prophet to speak the word of the Lord. We don't have to wait 400 years, long periods of time like that, to hear from God. The Word is very much alive today and very much active today. It's ever-present and available to us right now, 2,000 years later. Now, we don't just hear the Word of the Lord. We have relationship with the Word of the Lord. It sounds kind of strange to have relationship with the Word of the Lord, but that's what we got. So what if that recordable teddy bear that you got your grandson started to take on your traits and your characteristics? What if that teddy bear made pancakes just the way you make them for your grandchildren? What if that teddy bear held the hand of your grandchildren just like you like to hold their hand? What if that teddy bear showed the same amount of pride in your grandchildren as you do? What if that teddy bear had to discipline your grandchildren like sometimes you must do? Well, it'd be a little, you know, creepy. If you ask me, it'd be kind of creepy. But, in the same way, or a similar way, God makes himself known to us through his word In Jesus, we have relationship with that Word. And we read about it 
in the Bible. It's available to us. So read Jesus' words over and over. Read about the story of Jesus over and over. Pray to God. Just lay out your emotion. Because we have relationship with the Word. And this type of relationship is available to us today, 2,000 years later. And Jesus is not just some teddy bear. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Prince of Peace. He's going to give you more than just pancakes, right? He can give you forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Much more than a teddy bear. He's our Savior and Redeemer. You don't have to wait on a word for the Lord. In fact, now it's the other way around. The word of the Lord is waiting on you. Will you hear the word of the Lord? Will you have relationship with the word of the Lord? Because it's waiting on you now. It's not going to be 400 years. You're not going to live that long. You don't have that much time. Will it be four years? Will it be four months? How long will you wait? Maybe you've waited long enough. If you want to be baptized into Jesus Christ, you can do that today. Start having relationship with the Word of the Lord. Whatever your need, please come to the front row as we stand and sing our invitation song.